Our organization is small, but we have a lot of opportunity for aggressive expansion. You see, I'm a guy of simple taste. I enjoy dynamite, gunpowder, and gasoline. No! Well, hello, beautiful. Little fight in you. I like that. And you're gonna love me. The Dark Knight, rated PG-13 in theaters and IMAX, July 18th. Welcome to the House of Cinema podcast, and in the house today, we are returning to Gotham City. Yes. A few few months ago, you and I talked about Batman Begins, and now, in today's episode, we are tackling the magnum opus of comic book movies, (laughs) talking about 2008, The Dark Knight. So, Ren, how do you feel going into today's episode, knowing The Dark Knight holds a it's very special spot in many, many people's hearts. It sits on a pedestal. How are you feeling going into today's episode? I mean, we should backtrack here from the beginning where 13 years ago, even before the movie comes out, the anticipation was really high between the teaser trailer coming out, the teaser poster even. This movie was already kind of put on the pedestal before it even came out, just with how they promoted it. The excitement sky high. A few weeks ago in the Whiplash pod, you had stated that that was a movie that you had seen multiple times in theaters. Well, The Dark Knight was one of those movies for me. I saw this movie four times in theaters in the summer of 08, which is about 10 hours of my life now that I do the math real quick. So I'm excited to do this pod. Joe, how do you feel going into this pod tonight? I'm a little nervous. If I'm honest, a lot of people love this movie, like you said, including us. So yeah. I know that there are a lot of expectations out there. I promise to everybody who's listening, we're not going to sit here and trash The Dark Knight. We will bring up some talking points that maybe other people have uh, discussed on why this movie may not be perfect. But I know a lot of people see the movie as perfect. And I, I think that's totally fair and valid. I love this movie. I did not see it four times in theaters. I actually saw it <laughs> pretty late. Um, I do remember the hype for this movie was pretty crazy leading up to it. It did live up to the hype, but I feel like I saw it like a month after its release because wow. the theater wasn't that packed. Damn. And I was at a time in my life where I saw it and I was one of those like, I don't like things that are popular type of people. Oh. And so I wasn't really like, <laughs> I on board. I remember this era of your life. <laughs> I wasn't really on board with that hype train. And that same summer, I believe Watchmen came out. And I was more of like the Watchmen truther. And I was like, yeah, Watchmen is better than The Dark Knight. Looking back at that, I (laughs) was so wrong. So We still love Watchmen to this day. I love Watchmen. I think March of 08. So it's fair, you know, the, the two combating comic book movies. And I think Iron Man came out that summer or spring as well and was kind of also in in a different way a game changer for comic book movies so pretty loaded uh, year for comic book flicks pretty loaded year and i just remember not liking it when i was younger and my younger self was pretty dumb i'm older now i'm wiser interesting this movie is very 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 good if not perfect so i'm excited to talk about it i'm hoping we meet people's expectations and, and do it justice let's jump in to the dark knight And now, our feature presentation. The Dark Knight was released on July 18th, 2008, directed by none other, Christopher Nolan. This movie stars, I'll go over the main cast we know real quickly, Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne, Batman, Michael Caine as Alfred, Gary Oldman as James Gordon, Morgan Freeman as Lucius Fox, and introducing Maggie Gyllenhaal replacing Katie Holmes as Rachel Dawes. We talked a little bit about that in the Batman Begins pod. So if you guys want to learn more about uh, the Maggie Gyllenhaal versus Katie Holmes debate, we definitely talked about that in the back to Batman Begins episode. Um, also introducing Aaron Eckhart as Harvey Dent. And of course, Heath Ledger as the Joker. These are the main people in the movie. A lot of smaller characters that are important to the film. Although I think Eric Roberts feels slighted that we didn't mention him as a Sal Maroney, but I think he's fine. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Also, what I should shout out William Fickner as the Gotham Bank Manager because I'm going to bring him up later. Oh. This movie had a budget of $185 million. It went on to gross worldwide. A billion dollars and some change. Woo! Woo, indeed, is correct. Rotten Tomato score. Critics, 94%. Audience score, 
Also 94%. Consensus. Wow. Dark, complex, and unforgettable, The Dark Knight succeeds not just as an entertaining comic book film, but as a richly thrilling crime saga. So, Ren, turning to you, critics, audience score, what are your thoughts on these percentages? Obviously, we love this movie, and I completely agree with both percentages. But, I mean, looking at it from the outside, the, the critics make sense because, you know, we see this on a lot of top 10 lists. It's heralded as one of the best of the year. But the audience... I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate here and say I'm a little surprised by that just because of how dark and gritty this movie is. And I guess the length as well. It's about two and a half hours long. If you had told me that the audience score was about, I don't know, in the low 80s or something, that wouldn't have terribly surprised me. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, Low 80s? Low 80s. I, I think it's such a change of pace from... You know, Iron Man, I know the the MCU is just kicking off, but with how the comic book genre was been presented in in movies, if it was in the low 80s, I think that would not have surprised me. I mean, that's still a, most people still like it with that score, but, you know, it's definitely not 94. I feel like there's not a single person I know who has said The Dark Knight's a bad movie. I mean, there are people, obviously people out there, but I feel like the general population, you ask 10 people, how do you feel about The Dark Knight? They're all going to give it a positive review. So if I would have seen an 80%, (laughs) 82, I would have been like someone hacked Rotten Tomatoes and lowered the (laughs) score because that is outrageous. Am I just feeling forgiving today just in case someone did put 84%? I think you are. 82%? I think you are. Because I I guarantee you if we polled 10 people right now on Instagram, right now on TikTok, and we got their opinion, I would say 9 out of 10, if not 10 out of 10, say, yeah, it's a great movie or it's a good movie. At least it's a positive score. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, 94% critic score, pretty fantastic. Like you said, it was considered one of the best movies of that year. More on that to come. And audience score, 94% also would agree. I think that's pretty fair. I was actually more surprised it wasn't like 99% because I know people love this movie so much that, um, Hmm. I thought more people would take the time to review it, but I didn't really scour the audience negative reviews to find out you know, which naysayers are out there and why they didn't like it. I should have, but I didn't. Let's go to the more you know. I wrote down three very interesting facts about The Dark Knight. Fact number one, first comic book movie to hit $1 billion, which now seems like (laughs) pennies, considering every MCU movie makes like buku bucks and Endgame shattered every record, you know, known to man. Uh, but yeah. it is important to know the Dark Knight was the very first comic book movie to hit that one billion mark. Kind of changed the game. I mean, this movie changed the game for a lot of different reasons. Uh, and this is just one of many. It shows, yeah, you know what? This isn't just a comic book movie for kids. This can be for adults, for everybody. And clearly, everybody saw it. You know, that's funny now because if a big movie like this doesn't gross a billion dollars worldwide... It's kind of considered a failure, right? Oh yeah, it's insane to think that it's if it's not crossing a billion, it's like, oh, did we actually succeed here? It's like, well, Kevin Feige would be so fucking pissed if <laughs> Avengers Endgame, quote unquote, only grossed seven hundred million dollars. I think between marketing and everything they spent on production, that is, is that even breaking even for them these days? Like, I don't think so. I know, right? I don't know. Fact number two. Many people believe that The Dark Knight was one of the key reasons why the Academy Awards moved from five Best Picture nominations to ten Best Picture nominations. Both The Dark Knight and WALL-E were considered the best movies of 2008, and neither of them were nominated for Best Picture. To refresh your memory, the 2009 Academy Awards, which reflect the 2008 movies, the following movies were nominated. Slumdog Millionaire, which won, Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Milk, The Reader, and Frost Nixon. And I would say, <laughs> you look at those five movies, they're good, they're great. I love Curious Case, Benjamin Button, soft spot for that. I like Slumdog Millionaire a lot. Milk is great, The Reader is kind of boring to me, but it's a good movie. I never saw Frost Nixon. <laughs> it's crazy to think that both The Dark Knight and Wally are two movies that have aged much better than all five of those nominees, I would say. Especially The Dark Knight, it is just been cemented in the the cinema film world as one of the greatest movies of all time and for it to not be nominated that year was kind of a big deal and yeah although there's no official citation of the academy saying oh yeah we fucked up and so 
next year we're going to nominate 10 movies. But uh, yeah, the backlash of The Dark Knight not being nominated, who knows? I think it did inspire the Academy to change things up for the next year. Uh, and now I we mean, have it definitely we have did. Now. Like, that's not an accident that there was 10 nominations the next year to make room for other more movies that reach a broader audience. Do you think, or I guess for you personally, out of those movies, do you think that Dark Knight would win Best Picture? 100%. If 100%. Dark Knight takes Frost Nixon's place, it could take any of these movies' places, and it deserves Best Picture. I mean, it's a movie that define, redefines a genre, and it breaks a lot of barriers, and it has some incredible, incredible performances. It does everything that an Academy Award-winning movie does and it does yeah. it better than all of these other movies you know solely because it was a comic book movie a movie based on you know a superhero is the academy kind of turned the other cheek and uh you know we've changed a lot since then we you know black panther has been <laughs> nominated and we're seeing a lot of changes in the academy as uh, the years go on which is great i'm glad to see them evolve and kind of shed that old age you know that boomer mentality where it's right like, hmm, if it's not a war movie or if it's not a biography then i'm not gonna nominated <laughs> but uh we're kind of seeing a, a change now which is great and i think we need to credit most of that to the dark knight so if they redo it now i think it would definitely win i mean i'm definitely on the side of the coin where the, the dark knight is the best movie out of all of these nominees and just similar to you i do love benjamin bunn as well i, I think i probably like that more than slumdog fact number three on one of the drafts for The Dark Knight, it was revealed that Rachel Dawes was actually a member of the Dick Grayson family. And for those who don't oh, know, shit. Dick Grayson is a uh, iteration of Robin in the comic books. But Mr. Christopher Nolan had it removed to prevent people uh, building their hopes up for Robin to appear in the series. Which is kind of like a weird thing to do since in the third one, he then reveals that Joseph Gordon-Levitt his real name's Robin. <laughs> right. So, you know, the, I think that's a smart move because this is 2008 and 07 presented us with Spider-Man three coming out, which became just an overly cluttered comic book movie to me with, you know, you don't need references to eight different things that happened in the comic books to appease the fans. And I'm not sure if this Rachel Dawes, Dick Grayson thing happened in, in the comic books, but I think they definitely made the right move with not putting it in just to, I think it's just like an extra clutter of information in the movie. You think it would have been too much of a fan service and kind of... Too much fan service. But it's funny though, right? You did mention that he kind of does that at the end of Dark Knight Rises where he teases the fans with JGL possibly being Robin in future iterations of the franchise. Well, that's what bothers me about this. It's like, okay, I'm not going to make Rachel Dawes a member of Robin's family because I don't want, you know, I don't want people to get their hopes up to think Robin will appear. All right, that's fair. Dark Knight Rises comes out. Cool. We're watching two hours of that movie. Literally, like, the last three minutes of the movie is Joseph Gordon-Levitt going to pick up some stuff Bruce left yep. him. It's like, oh, hey, I like your name. It, uh, Robin. It's it's cool. <laughs> what? You just did exactly what you didn't want to do in the Dark Knight. You just did it in the next movie. Like, okay. That's what kind of bothers me about this fact. To find out Rachel is part of Robin's family in this movie... I think it would have been fine. Um, I get your point of, is there too much? Is there a point where it's too much? Spider-Man 3 was definitely a overload of shit happening. It's like Green Goblin, yes. Sandman, and Venom. Topher Grace Venom. Was Rhino Venom. in that or is that the Amazing Spider-Man? That was the Amazing Spider-Man Blending everything two. into one now. <laughs> yeah, Amazing Spider-Man 2 had fucking like 80 villains in it. It was just, it got a little overboard. So I get that. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a little, little too much to have that many references or that many villains. But in the end, I think it would have been fine to just reference it. Then you don't okay. have to make Joseph Gordon-Levitt Robin in the third one, right? Maybe, I don't know. Any other facts you want to mention before we move on? No, those were great, man. Those were great. Then let's move on to our favorite scenes. I think it's important to say a quick disclaimer. You kind of mentioned it briefly, sort of. But um, I am not a like devotee of the comic book slash graphic novels or anything. I I've read a few of them. Uh, but I'm not, I don't have like issue one of one of detective, <laughs> true detective crimes or whatever. The I'm always excited is. to buy like a graphic novel or like the collection of a story. I'm, yeah, I'm never going to go buy uh, issue one in the next month. I'm looking forward to issue. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It is a lot. I like it when the story's done and I can buy the collection. 
And that's yeah. like once every two years I do that. I've read The Long Halloween and I've read um, The Dark Knight Returns, I believe, and, and mm. Year One. So I've read like the classic, like important ones. But by no means am I like this uh, Batman aficionado in terms of, well, in the comic book, this happens. Or So I want to <laughs> put that disclaimer out because I may, may, may say things that are maybe incorrect to some extent. I hope not, but... Uh, so that's my disclaimer real quick for, for both of us. I I, yeah, I'm piggybacking on that for sure. Yeah, thank you. Um, so let's talk about our favorite scenes, though. This movie is pretty impressively perfect, so it's hard to not pick everything and hard to narrow it down. But I, I think I've chosen some pretty important scenes that uh, we should talk about. The first thing I think we should definitely talk about is the intro to this movie. Three of a kind. Let's do this. That's it. Three guys. Two guys on the roof. Every guy gets a share. Five shares is plenty. Six shares. Don't forget the guy who planned the job. He thinks he can sit it out and still take a slice. I know why they call him the Joker. So why do they call him the Joker? I heard he wears makeup. Makeup? Yeah, to scare people. You know, war paint. Do you think Christopher Nolan is a fan of Michael Mann? Because I would bet a thousand <laughs> million dollars that he is. Well, if he's not a fan of Michael Mann, he's definitely a fan of Heat. I can tell you that from this opening <laughs> sequence. <laughs> he is. Actually, on TikTok, I just posted a Christopher Nolan um his favorite films and heat by michael mann is one of them safe to say christopher nolan's a big fan of heat and for those who don't know heat is a film filmed in la about bank robberies and cool shit like that and heists (laughs) and it is an impressive film i i definitely recommend carving out three hours of your day to watch it um just be warned it is about three hours of your day do do you think christopher nolan was aiming for that three hour mark he's like fuck only two and a half hours (laughs) warners give me more time give me more film probably probably (laughs) every time i watch this movie to me it's i think it's my favorite scene in the whole movie i mean there are a lot of great scenes and heath ledger's a joker is great but the beginning to this movie is unlike anything i've ever seen before and i and i think about this movie and I compare it to other comic book movies. Like, is there a comic book movie out there that has a better intro to it than this movie? A better and, intro? Oh. And and I, I can't really think of one. I think of like Watchmen, which I know not a lot of people love, but the intro to Watchmen is pretty great where the comedian's fighting an unknown assailant that we later know and is uh, Adrian Veidt. That's pretty good. The opening to Iron Man 1 is pretty great, I have to admit, where he's traveling the desert with the, the military people. Oh, it's like the flash forward, right? Yeah, so that's a really great scene. Um, there are a lot of good scenes and in intros to comic movies, but there's never been anything like this, I don't think. I just, I feel like it really engages you from the moment it starts until... We find out Joker's that last person and he's putting grenades in people's mouths and walking away. And I wanted so to good. shout out William Fickner because William Fickner is in Heat as one of like the CEO people who kind of screws over or tries to screw over Robert De Niro and his... Oh, uh, it's been so group. long. I don't even remember. So it's just kind of funny that William Fickner in Heat and now he's in the beginning of this very Heat-esque scene in The Dark Knight. Oh, wow. I'm not sure if there was, like, a that's the true reference. Like, that's the Dude. homage that Nolan was, like, saying. Yes. 100%. Michael Mann, yeah. I love that, that movie. Here is my homage to you. And yeah. putting William Fickner in it. Because he's not in the <laughs> movie at all besides that moment. So it feels no. like it was done with that intent. Oh, for sure. They love doing those quote-unquote auteurs, Tarantino, Nolan. When they pay homage to something and they put like a guy from the that previous movie. movie. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So yeah, Nolan knows what he's doing. He's definitely paying an homage to Michael Mann and Heat. What are your thoughts on this beginning scene? You said it, right? It's a fantastic introduction to the Joker. This scene just hits all the right beats. I hate just like completely like agreeing with you, but I'm completely agreeing with you that this is probably <laughs> one of the best opening scenes ever. I do want to shout out the fact, and I think you got to go to this screening and I didn't. Joe, do you remember going to watch I Am Legend? Yes, late I do. Late 2007. Yes, I to do. To watch the, op- the basically this scene, right? This was attached to the beginning of I Am Legend. So it's interesting because they don't really do this with movies anymore. Granted, I haven't been to a movie theater in over a year <laughs> right. now. But um, yeah, so when they're promoting this movie, I Am Legend came out in 2007. And as one of like the trailers, instead of a trailer, they showed the first five minutes of The Dark Knight before I Am Legend showed. And I saw it in theaters and was absolutely blown away. And I thought to myself, like, if this is what the rest of The Dark Knight is going to be like, 
it's going to be a really fantastic movie. And obviously nice. it was. But yeah, it's weird because I feel like they did it again with The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, when you fell asleep during Mission Impossible? <laughs> yeah, they showed the first five minutes of Dark Knight Rises <laughs> during Mission Impossible Rogue One. Or not Rogue One. Rogue Nation? <laughs> no, I think it was Gro- Ghost Protocol. Oh, Ghost Protocol. Yeah, yeah. Ghost Protocol. Yeah, they The showed... other one where he's running and underwater and shit. Yeah, one. the other one where he jumps off a building and is like doing crazy shit. I don't. They all kind of mesh in my head, but... Sure. Yes, they did this again for The Dark Knight Rises. They showed the first five minutes of that movie before Mission Impossible, and then I fell asleep during Mission Impossible, so... It was great. It's weird, though. Have they done this with any other movies? I feel like they really haven't. They do little sneak peeks that are even less than this, but it's very rare. And which is funny because they do this for really big movies that I think don't really necessarily need it. Like, we're going to go watch The Dark Knight Rises. We don't need to see the first five minutes with, with Bane in it to hype us even more. Okay, I was going to go go anyways. Why don't you yeah. do this for something lesser? I mean, this would only come from Christopher Nolan, who's like, I'm going to make this movie experience the best experience of your life. And so he is <laughs> attaching five minutes of his movie to other films to kind of, like, take that glory. But anyways, I think what's most impressive about this scene is that if I showed it to you for the very first time. Let's say I, you didn't watch Batman Begins. You know you know nothing about movie world directors. Oh, God. And let's just say, you know, horrible. maybe you're an average citizen who isn't, like, really paying attention to the movie world. And uh, maybe less than the average citizen because you don't know anything about Batman Begins. <laughs> yeah, sure. I show you the beginning of this movie, and let's say I mute, like, the first two minutes. Would you even know it's a comic book movie? Would you even mm. know it's a superhero movie? That's no. what's so crazy Excellent about point. this movie is that it begins with the most atypical way a comic book movie comic book movie has ever started. It's not like here's Batman, I'm flying off to fight somebody or it's not like it's not the first thing you see isn't like the Joker's face like you said. It's a heist. And by all intents and purposes, if you show this to anybody else who didn't really know what was going on, they would say what heist movie is this, like what robbery movie is this. It looks like Heat. It doesn't look like a yeah. comic book movie. And yeah, that's, that's what's point. so impressive, I think, about this scene is that it really just flips the genre on its head. It's like this isn't going to be your typical X2, The Last Stand, or Unite. What is X2 called? X-Men 2? X-Men United. Uh, X-Men we, United. We like that one, and then we don't like The Last Stand. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not <laughs> X3, The Last Stand. It's it, This is something much different than that. And that's what I think is really, really impressive about this scene. Yeah, totally. Totally agree. I could talk about that scene for hours, but let's try to move on to another scene that we love. Let's talk about the pencil scene and officially meeting the Joker. I know why you choose to have your little group therapy sessions in broad daylight. I know why you're afraid to go out at night. The Batman. See, Batman has shown Gotham your true colors, unfortunately. Dent, he's just the beginning. And and as for uh, the television's so-called plan, Batman has no jurisdiction. He'll find him and make him squeal. I know the squealers when I see them. You know, it's interesting because the Batman universe, a lot of these villains don't have superpowers, including the Joker. But we see him walk into this room, and the very first thing he does is slam some guy who's kind of bigger than the Joker, slams his face into a pencil, and, you know, the pencil, quote-unquote, disappears into his brain. For the first time, I felt like the Joker is actually not just a like a mental foe, but he's actually kind of a physical foe, which I okay. feel like I hadn't seen in the past before. I, I mean, I watched a little bit of the animated series, but I feel like whenever we saw Joker, it was him just doing crazy shit or shooting a gun. It was never like fighting people. And to see right. him actually kind of subdue somebody in a physical way was pretty impressive. With that aside... I don't think there's a, and I this might be a podcast of, I've never seen another movie do this before, but <laughs> the introduction to the Joker is his whole monologue is absolutely fantastic. I feel like that from that moment on, I'm really just, I'm obsessed with this character. <laughs> 
thoughts on this scene? From that moment on, you were going to replicate the way the Joker spoke for the next 15, 13 <laughs> years of your life, is what this you is said true. to yourself. This is true. From why so serious quotes to I'm going to show you a magic trick. Yeah. That's that scene, man. And I actually didn't have this scene written down just because there's so many great scenes in the movie, but I want to say, like, I, I don't want to keep saying iconic in this podcast or, like you said, <laughs> never, never seen before, but this was just fucking groundbreaking i guess it's an introduction on top of the introduction that we already got from him yes and it is. this is because of the first time that he's actually has a, a full set of lines and dialogue he, he's just owning every scene that he's in he, he's miles above what he, what's even on the screen apart from the joker it's so memorable and amazing like i said earlier you just want more and more of it and it really sets the stage for the rest of the movie and it's it's fucking amazing. I feel like we're on the Pee Wee Herman show, and every time we say iconic, all like these sounds should go off, like all these buzzers should go off, and people should yeah, start yelling. Someone like, should have a counter. I'm gonna try to not say it again. No, it's fine though, because it is iconic. This movie is iconic largely because of Heath's performance as the Joker. You know, we're gonna ask this at some point, so let's just ask it now. Yes, is this the best performance of the Joker that we've seen on screen? Now, I want to exclude a couple things. I want to exclude Mark Hamill as the voice of the Joker, which iconic in itself and fantastic, and some people may say the best. I was going to say, I was going to shout that out actually right after everything. <laughs> I want to exclude Mark Hamill, and I want to exclude um, the show Gotham, which I've never ever watched, but I know it has a pretty strong fan base, and I know some people like the actor who plays um, the Joker on that show. Yeah. Let's exclude that. Sounds good. Let's just keep it between these three. Let's keep it between Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger, and Joaquin Phoenix. I like how you... Okay. <laughs> Do you know? Okay, you, you did this on purpose. You didn't even mention the fourth live action guy. I didn't Dick. name Jared Leto. <laughs> oh, Okay, man. fine. Fine. And it's Jared just funny Leto. that you spent the time of day to shout out the animated guy, the live action TV guy. And then... <laughs> Like, fuck Jared Leto and that juggalo performance in Suicide Squad. <laughs> Which, by the way, spoilers, it is fourth place. Let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> it is I'm giving place. a hard time, but yeah, fourth place. Yes, sure. okay, fine. Andrew Leto, <laughs> automatic fourth That's place. That's so great. We know it. He's just damaged, <clears throat> Ren. He's just damaged. He's damaged. Tattooed on his head. What can I say? Oh, God. I have so many questions. <laughs> no, and no answers at all. And we're good. We're good, Jared. <laughs> okay, the three people. Joaquin, <laughs> Heath, and Jack Nicholson. Is Heath the best performance of the Joker on screen? Without a doubt. It's Heath Ledger. It's it's, it's not even a, a, a debate, I don't think. I mean, he ended up winning the Oscar, right, Joaquin, for being Arthur Fleck in Joker. I think it's still a great performance. I don't know where you stand on that. Jack, a little bit more over the top, but obviously heralded as well as one of the more memorable performances in, in comic book history. And I, I think that's also why the... The standard was set pretty high and people were kind of defensive when Heath was initially cast. But if you want me to rank these, I'm going Keith, Joaquin, and then Jack. Is that heresy? No, no, no. I don't think so at all. I think that's a fair assessment to echo what we both said. I think that Heath is far and beyond the best performance of the Joker on screen. I don't think that you... I think you can... Obviously, you can debate anything, but I think it's pointless. I think Heath's performance is... Perfect. Yeah. Now, when it comes to Joaquin and Jack, uh, I think Joaquin's performance, Arthur Fleck, was very, very, very good. I think the movie itself is just okay. I feel like there's some really high points, some real low points. I'm not like the biggest fan of the Joker. I think I, I'm on bit... that. I'm on that boat as well. Sure. Yeah. It's just a. It's a good movie, but it's not a great movie. And then Jack Nicholson's portrayal of the Joker, which I think a lot of people may not remember. I think a lot of people who born maybe 95 and on hasn't really taken the time to either watch that movie or maybe don't really understand the effect of that performance at the time. Okay. Because it was at that time, extremely great performance. And like you said, when it was announced, Heath Ledger was being played the Joker. There was a lot of defensiveness because a lot of people do love Jack Nicholson's portrayal of the Joker, which is, I think is very, very good. I think you can flip flop Jack and Joaquin all day. 
Sure. I don't think that's a, a, a wrong answer to have one over the other. I think it's a wrong answer to have Jared Leto higher than four. <laughs> and I think it's wrong that Jared Leto <laughs> should be mentioned in this list, period. Unfortunately, we have to. You know, I, I don't know what happened there, and I, I feel bad because I don't think it's Jared Leto's fault. Jared Leto's a phenomenal actor. Sure. An Oscar winner himself. The movie's a mess. The movie's just not good. And largely... Leto's performance is a result of that mess. So yeah, I'm glad we I talked mean, about that. He's in the movie though. for five minutes. I'm sure. Like it, it's been said that there's countless, countless amounts of film that he shot that has not seen the light of day. Are you telling me that we should start a hashtag airs like Dave Ayers, Ayers cut? cut? <laughs> oh fuck you! No, they just Ayers announced cut? the Justice League cut was, is coming out in like two months, and I don't know if I'm mortified or excited. A little bit of both. <laughs> There's no way that cut makes that movie better. I'm sorry. The movie's just not good. It's not. It's, it's just not, not good. <laughs> It'll be a fascinating watch, that's for sure. It will be interesting to watch, yes. Okay, we, we've we digressed a little bit. Uh, yes, the intro to Heath Ledger's Joker and the pencil trick. Phenomenal. Heath is the best Joker. The last scene I think we should talk about is the interrogation scene. Making a choice. Where are they? Choose between one life or the other. Your friend, the district attorney, or his blushing bride to be. (laughs) You have nothing, nothing to threaten me with, nothing to do with all your strength. Don't worry, I'm gonna tell you where they are. Both of them, and that's the point. This is another, you know, extended monologue that we have from the Joker talking about how they're very similar, how they're very alike, and they're both just freaks in a town that never really will respect them. He has a point, right? And that's the best part about the Joker, is that he always has some truth to his lunacy, is that, yeah, he has a point. When shit starts actually going down, throwing the Joker around, punching him in the face, and hitting him in the hand... That that was a weird move, right? Is that one of the more interesting moves in, in cinematic history? The the, the hand punch. The hand Never punches? seen that before. That that's okay, audience. That's warranted right there. I have definitely never seen anyone punch someone's hand on the table ever. What movies since. are Bruce Wayne is Bruce Wayne watching where the detectives punch somebody's hand really really hard? I mean, he was watching like an episode of Dragon. And here's here's a tactic I'm going to use in <laughs> tomorrow. Maybe I feel hand like hand punch. If someone punched my hand really hard, it wouldn't hurt as bad if, you know, someone punched me in the face. I'd be confused. I would, yeah. He seems confused, too, when he gets punched like, in the oh, hand. really? That's an interesting choice, dude, the hand punch. I never really thought about it until right now. But that's, you know, when things escalate is when things get really, really good. And I love the moment when the Joker just tells him, like, you have nothing against me. Like, you can't hurt me because typically... Batman can use family or friends or use a way to threaten somebody. But when you right. have the Joker, someone with unknown origins in this universe, at least, it's a real, real great change of pace to see Batman constantly losing. And I think that's what I like about this, this scene a lot. Thoughts? What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, man, this is this is their showdown. This is the showdown in the movie. I think apart from the opening scene, this might be my second favorite. You're just on the edge of your seat when the Joker is speaking. You're just waiting for him to manipulate Batman in any way that he can. And actually, the irony is he doesn't in this scene. Well, actually, I don't know if he's lying when he says he doesn't, if he didn't know the mess up with the address of where they're taking Rachel. Oh, 100% he Harvey. knew. You think he knew? 100%. Okay, then yeah, he's fucking with him. So yeah, you're on the edge of your seat, and there you go. He fucked with him, and he knew. He knew that he would try to save Rachel first, and... It ended up being Harvey, so he got him. The best thing about this face-off, and it's something you kind of touched on already, is that this is more of a face-off of words. It's a clash of words and a, a, a dueling of um, negotiations and interrogations rather than a big face-off with action, which we do get later. But again, a kind of a first when it comes to superhero movies, the big face-off between the two characters for the first time isn't one filled with uh kapows and big punches it's one (laughs) of words where they're sitting there talking to each other learning from one another and and playing kind of a cat and mouse game one of them is trying to derive some information on the other and the other one is trying to manipulate the other person to to fuck up it's a battle of words and i think that's what's really impressive about the scene because 
you would expect the very first face-off between these two characters, which I guess is, I guess, technically the second because they meet at the uh, fundraiser for Harvey Dent. Right. Um, and they have like a physical altercation there. But this is just this is just them two only. You know, when Thanos and, and an Avenger meet for the first time, they're not sitting there at a table talking to each other. They're They're fighting, you know, and that's fine. But this is a big moment for them, too, because it's just them two alone. And it starts off as a battle of words, which I think is different and obviously a game changer. Definitely agree. So we could talk about scenes all night long and have a whole two-hour podcast about every scene in this movie and how perfect it is or what we love about it. Sure. Let's try to talk about the flaws. I have flaws. What are they? Oh, I don't know. I sing in the shower. Sometimes I spend too much time volunteering. Occasionally, I'll hit somebody with my car. What I think I'm going to do in this particular section of our episode is I'm going to read you the flaws that other people have said about this movie. And then we'll talk about those flaws and see if we agree or not. Okay. You alluded to them earlier, the critics for this movie. One of the themes that I saw in many of the critiques was there was it was too dark. And then one of the flaws, and I'll read a quote, The Dark Knight has too much psychology and not enough pop. It's possible to be too serious, you know. That was Ryan Gilby from The New Statesman. Now, is that a fair critique? Is that a fair flaw to be too dark and too gritty? Okay, so I think it's not for this movie. I'll, I'll start with that. I, yeah. I think this movie has enough Alfred. It has enough quips in it that it keeps the tone light hard <laughs> enough. I, Batman gets his shit in at some points as well in terms of comedy. And... It's a dark movie, but I don't think it's that dark. Is he alluding to there not being enough action? Because right before the Joker gets caught, that's a pretty fucking action-packed sequence there. Oh, yeah. Now, heat heat now, part two. Yeah. <laughs> now, the climax the climax of the movie in itself is not one of what we're accustomed to now, where it's a whole fucking city being demolished <laughs> into shreds and we're getting to the core of the earth. But... It's still very entertaining, so and I think there's enough there's enough pack to the punch here. Yeah. So here's the thing about this critique to say it's too dark, there's too much psychology, too much seriousness. I think the important thing to remember is knowing your context. If this was Spider-Man and it was consistently dark and serious and gr- gritty and grungy and there was never any comedy, then I would agree. Yeah, this is too dark. This is Spider-Man. Spider-Man is known for being fun and quippy and lighthearted and you know it's about a teenage boy as a superhero so it's intended to be a little bit more on the lighter side but this is batman and batman has always been known to be dark you know gotham's gotham fucking city it's like the slums of the slums it is a gritty and dark and dangerous place i'm not sure if this person is expecting you know rainbows and butterflies and (laughs) flying kapows and flying around on his grappling hook and you know doing fun tim burton-esque stuff but this is a darker source material and christopher nolan acknowledges that and makes this movie dark which i think is the right decision i think if we got a more lighthearted version it wouldn't be as great as it is now. I mean, I think to that regard, I think the realism part of it is, is cool in a way that there is more stakes in one, two, three people dying that we don't need a thousand people dying to have the effect that it does on an Avengers movie. The other thing that's important to note is that Batman is a universe filled with, okay, there is some fantastical things to it, but compared to Superman, the Avengers, any Marvel comic book, It is about a superhero with no powers fighting, typically, other villains with no superpowers. Now, Batman has some crazy villains, Clayface and Killer Croc, and there are some fantastical things going on. Poison Ivy, I can give you that. But (laughs) no one has picked some very real villains with no no superpowers. Joker is just a psycho, and Batman's just rich. And he's chosen a storyline where the fantastical isn't around. So he's made a very serious, a very human version of a comic book movie, which I think that you can't expect there to be a lot of pop because no one has, you know, no one has superpowers. No one's flying around and shooting shit out of their hands or their eyes. So I think that's why it's an interesting critique to say it's not enough pop or it's too serious, but to each their own. 
And the other flaw I want to bring up, which I am not saying is a flaw, but some super critic from Rotten Tomatoes is, and I quote, this is an impressive film in many ways, and Nolan directs with real confidence, yet the overall result feels cumbersome. So is there too much going on in this movie where you think it's dragging it down? Oh, I see. Okay. So this is like... Is a film trying to achieve too much? So I'm going to backtrack again here from like the first time I had watched the movie. I was a little confused in the middle, but overall, and like as an adult watching it, I don't think it's trying to achieve that much, is it? What do you think? So I think this is an interesting critique because if you show this movie to a nine-year-old, eight-year-old, 10-year-old, 11-year-old, I don't know, someone young, elementary school kid, (laughs) maybe sixth grade, will they really understand what's going on? It's not as straightforward as we need to stop Thanos from collecting five stones and destroying the world. Straightforward, easy to follow, right? Right. Um, Not too cumbersome. In this movie, it does get a little complicated. We need to follow the Mark Bills, and then the Mark Bills get left, and then the money gets oh, taken. And then, good point. Um, that still confused me, actually. That yeah, still confused me. And then right, he goes go to, to China, and he's like, hmm, the Chinese won't extradite one of their own. And I'm like, I know what extradite means. Does this 11-year-old know what extradite means? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, well, Batman has no jurisdiction. Like, what do you mean Batman has no jurisdiction? What's going on? I think if you're younger, right. definitely a little bit confusing. It's kind of like it has Phantom Menace vibes where it's like a lot That's of- That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Like, oh, the Trade Federation's blocking my trades. It's like, all right, come on, guys. Like, this isn't important. Um, so there's a lot of that in the beginning of The Dark Knight where I think if you're older and you understand what's going on, it's easy to follow. But if you are younger or maybe not really paying attention that much, it gets a little confusing. Like, why the, why the fuck is Batman in Hong Kong right now? What's he doing there? Um, <laughs> and what does that lead to? So I think that's I can understand why someone might say it's a little cumbersome. On, on a personal note, I did watch this with my kid who's 12 last week and i think there was enough action going on in those scenes that it just went over his head and he was just looking forward to the next joker scene as well yeah so that's my small defense to that but i think if you ask a younger person why did they go to hong kong i don't think they would know i think if you asked 18 year old me on the first watch (laughs) what i thought why did he go to hong kong be like i don't know the joker scenes were dope i think that would be my answer (laughs) i mean the hong kong seems pretty dope too Um, i forget that he flies yeah he he actually flies into the building. So that was pretty cool. Those are their flaws. Whether you agree with them or not, hey, it's up to you. If you don't think it's cumbersome, you understand why Batman went to Hong Kong, more power to you. More power to you. <laughs> right, right. Let's uh, let's move to some ridiculous questions here. Question. What kind of bear is best? That's a ridiculous question. False. Black bear. Interestingly enough, Christopher Nolan, not a big fan of post-credit scenes, apparently. But if you could go back to the Dark Knight and write a post-credit scene for the Dark Knight, what would you toss the last 30 seconds, a minute after the credits? Pretending that the Dark Knight Rises, completely unknown. You don't know Bane's coming. What would you throw in the last minute? So I think if this movie came out now, given the way that cinema is, I think you would get Joker and Arkham, right? Whoa. That would be my 30 seconds would be one last look at the Joker. That is Because, because really the movie good. doesn't end with him. It ends with Two-Face falling off the thing. Yeah. I think that's something that people forget about the movie. I definitely, even in the numerous times I had seen it, I would give the audience one last Joker scene. That is so good that I don't even want to say what I was going to say. Well, I was just kind of piggybacking off what we said earlier. I think that it would be kind of cool to get like a in memoriam or a remembrance and said like Rachel Dawes Grayson. And then that's what we see like in a newspaper. There you go. Real quick. That's her surname or her maiden name is Grayson. And uh, that would be a nice little like fan service. Maybe it means something. Maybe it doesn't. But it would be kind of cool to see the last 30 seconds of the movie end with that. But I think I'm a big fan of your last shot of Joker in Arkham. That's a You really know, actually what, what they would do, not what I said. Well, actually, they, they do that and they extend it even more and say something like, oh, Dr. Quinzel will see you now. And then or would that be something that Nolan doesn't do? That would be a different director. That might like be a David. different director. Yeah, That might be a different director. I like yours a lot. Nice, nice. I got to ask you, more iconic line in comic book movie history, the aforementioned why so serious or 
With great power comes great responsibility. Whoa, that is a tough decision here. Yikes. I, I guess what, what I should ask you, what what have you said more often in the last decade plus of your life? Okay, so that's <laughs> perfect because that's exactly where I was going. I'm going to determine what is more iconic simply by what have I said more in my life. And in all honesty, it is with great power comes great responsibility. Really? I think I've said oh my that, God. I've said that <laughs> quote like at work. I've said it at home. I've said it to friends, family, to strange well i haven't said to strangers but (laughs) i've said it to a lot of people i think walking your dog (laughs) other dog walkers with great power comes responsibility i just think that with great power comes great responsibility is so applicable to many life circumstances i'm on the other end i thought why so serious is more applicable to all those things that you just mentioned at work to my kid when he's (laughs) feeling down or whatever (laughs) i guess i could also tell him with great power i've also i mean i've said both to him but I thought, yeah, I I feel like I've said why so serious a little bit more than uh, great no power. Way. I think because why so serious is so related to the Joker and then a death right afterwards. I don't find myself oh, I didn't saying think of that. it that, Jesus. that often. <laughs> but with great power comes great responsibility. It's just such a like touching moment between Uncle Ben and, and Peter Parker. Well, kind mm. of touching. Peter Parker's kind of a dick. So maybe yeah, he's like, fuck that. <laughs> maybe it's not that touching. Let me but... go wrestle, bro. <laughs> I I think with great power comes great responsibility. It's just okay. a little bit better. Not better. Okay. It's just it's easier to say. I don't know. I, I, I'm on the why so serious front because I said it more and it gives me a chance to do the Joker voice. That's, uh, you're, that's fair. Your son's a black belt. You have to tell him to like to be careful. So with great power comes great responsibility. No lie. There has been a pep talk pre-karate before that I fucking <laughs> quoted Uncle Ben. I'll leave it at that. What would you rather get tattooed on you? Why so serious? Or with great power comes great responsibility? Well, why so serious? It's three lines. What? I'm not going to have one, two, three, four, five, six words. And responsibility is like a bunch of syllables. No way. I'm doing why so serious. <laughs> and I'm doing it in the font that's in the poster from, uh, the, from the teaser fine, poster. Fine, it's going to be exactly like that. Wow. I didn't know we were going to be so split. I thought you were for sure going to say with great power comes great responsibility. I've revealed a lot about myself in that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That was great. Let's try a new section out real quick. We usually talk about this in our more you know section of our podcast, but we're going to try it out here. It's called role reversal. And Ooh. I'm going to bring up an, a character in the movie that could have been played by another actor that auditioned for that role or that was considered for that role. So Harvey Dent, played by Aaron Eckhart. However, Leave Schreiber, Mark Ruffalo, Matt Damon, and Hugh Jackman were all at one point considered for the part or auditioned for the part. Wow. Of Leave <laughs> Schreiber, Mark Ruffalo, Matt Damon, and Hugh Jackman, could anybody else have done Harvey Dent? Wow, man, the the Hugh Jackman is kind of cool. I think I, it's super cool. <laughs> I, obviously, he's Wolverine, so I think that's why they they couldn't get that through completely. So I, ah, oh, man, that sucks. We have to eliminate him, and it's like leave Schreiber. I'm stuck on Hugh Jackman. That would have been fucking awesome. And I I don't think I don't think it would have taken away from hey, that's Hugh Jackman. That's not Harvey Dent, which is usually the case. I have to disagree there. I mean, Hugh Jackman is Wolverine. You know, there are, there are actors made for roles. You know, Robert Downey Jr., Tony Stark. Yeah. Hugh Jackman is Wolverine. He is will always be Wolverine in many people's eyes. So I think it might have been a, like, pull-you-out-of-the-moment type of cast. So I'm glad they didn't do that one. Maybe I'm out of left field here, but I think Lee Schreiber as Harvey Dent is pretty fucking cool. Also, an X-Men, well, he's in X-Men as Sabretooth. Sabretooth, um, I just don't yeah. think that he is, you know, people don't look at Leaf Sharper and go like, that's fucking Sabretooth. I think if you put him as Harvey Dent, that would have been pretty cool. I like Leaf Sharper as Harvey Dent. Uh, Matt Damon and Mark Ruffalo, thoughts on those two potential um, Harvey Dents? I think if it was Matt Damon, I'm like, that's Matt Damon. Yeah. Mark Ruffalo would have been the better choice of the two. Um, not super sold on Leaf Schreiber. I don't know. I like him in the Scream movies and that's all my thoughts on him. Uh, but I okay, guess Ruffalo okay. would have been interesting because this is pre-Hulk Ruffalo. I don't think he's made an appearance yet as um, Bruce Banner. So yep, he might not. be the most perfect out of all these guys. Leaf Shriver and, and Ruffalo both have played like cop, attorney, reporter type roles before, I feel like. Well, maybe not before this movie. I just know them from 
those roles. So it's right. easy for me to see them as like a DA. Mark Ruffalo, I think would actually work, would make an interesting turn in his career if he does go to the MCU still. I'm, I'm sure he still does, but it would have been interesting. Aaron Eckhart is fantastic. But I just think it's interesting. I think he's great. Imagine yeah. a world where Matt Damon might have been fucking Harvey Dent or Hugh Jackman. So the other one is obviously the Joker. Heath Ledger's perfectly cast as it, but the following people expressed interest in playing the Joker. Paul Bettany, Vision, WandaVision himself. Vision. Vision. Yes. It's catchy. Um, it is yeah, catchy. Yeah, my son's been singing it all weekend. It's great. Good thing, uh, good thing that show finally got good. Jeez, what a sl- it's just a slog. Hey, man. Episodes. Or, uh, the, the sitcom thing was fun. They were all in. Oh, and dude. aren't you happy that episode four was good? Come on. Yeah. Right, let's move the on. The first three episodes were just boring. Ah, oh, whatever. Adrian Brody, my boy. Your guy, yeah. Steve Carell and Robin Williams all considered express interest to play the Joker. Whoa. Any of these names pop out to you as, hell yeah, I could have seen that. I want to say Paul Bettany, but I think in my mind, I'm just seeing it as, can they do this exactly the same way that Heath Ledger did? Just because the performance is that good. But yeah, I'm sticking with Paul Bettany. I'm going him over over Adrian Brody. The, the interesting thing about this cast list, and I we've had numerous articles say this so that I'm comfortable fully knowing that Nolan was considering all four of these guys legitimately. Yeah. Is that he wasn't he wasn't sure which way to go just in the scope of the type of actors because you're going Williams to Carell to Benny to Brody which is reaching all all types of casting there but overall I'm gonna go Benny would be the most interesting. Okay, so where are you on that? I like Benny a lot. I, is it weird? I think he's too tall. I, he, he feels really. Oh, he's tall. a tall guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he would just like a... tower over Bale. Yeah, tower over Bale and be like, this guy is a little too lanky, a little too tall, maybe as a Riddler, but not as a Joker. I like him a lot, and I think he has like the uh, attitude to do it, but I just don't yeah. think, I just think physically, I don't see that. I actually kind of lean Adrian Brody. He's obviously an Oscar winner, great actor. Um, he's played some very odd roles in a lot of Wes Anderson movies to the point where I'm like, I oh, I don't watch those. Being... I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's always played some like just very out there characters. And okay. So I think that knowing that he could probably play Joker really well. It. This is. Hard. I'm sure he could. Yeah. This is difficult because Heath Ledger is so perfect in this role. It's hard to imagine anybody else. But if I really had to like force myself to imagine someone else, um, Agent Brody might do really really well. Robin Williams, I think, also could handle it well. It would be a really interesting interpretation of it though i think what, what are your thoughts on Corel? possible this is what season three of the office season four it's like at its peak is that safe to say what what if what if he became the joker <laughs> that would be the most interesting choice i think by far it would have definitely been uh, a game changer in Corel's career i mean yes it's a peak office time but i don't think he's done a role like this and he hadn't done a serious role until like Foxcatcher, which I was going to say, what are your Foxcatcher Corel thoughts? Is that good? I, yeah, I think it's okay. I think it's good. I don't think it's amazing, but it's good. Mm. That one is just a serious role, not really a zany or a psycho role. He's just like a really mean, mean guy. Right. But him as the Joker would have been something I could <laughs> never imagine. So I God. don't want to imagine. I just, I can't. Yeah. So interesting. I agree. I'm on that boat. That's our role reversal. Let's move to forming some ranks very quickly. Form ranks! Form ranks! For today's form ranks, I want you to rank the following best live action comic book villains, including the MCU. So I've listed here for you to rank Thanos, the Joker, Magneto, oh, and Bane. How do you rank these four villains these uh, iconic superhero villains, maybe the best of all time. I'm not sure. I'm sure I'm missing some other MCU villains that are really great, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn it, that's a good fucking list. So Thanos, so, Joker, Magneto, and Bane. Where are you going? I mean, so in terms of what they achieve in the movies, are we talking about that? Because if we're talking about performances, I'm just gonna rank Heath as the Joker number one and just be done with this. So we have to do performances <laughs> because I think that if you take like Magneto, who has been 
extremely iconic in his own right, but maybe I doesn't say Fassbender pretty... is awesome as Magneto. though. He is. He is. I think Ian McKellen is slightly better, but I think you have to you have to consider the performances rather than the movies because Woo. the actors may have been thrown into some not so great movies, but the performances themselves are great. So, God. Um. Yeah, I'm gonna go number one. Heath Ledger as a Joker. Number two, take your pick. Fassbender or McKellen as Magneto. Mm-hmm. Number three, because in terms of effect, I, I really feel bad putting Thanos last because he fucking destroyed half of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> you know, fuck, I'm putting him third. And I really feel bad putting Hardy as Bane fourth because I think that's probably the most demanding role out of all these four because he's masked, but he still has to... He still has to have an A-plus performance. I think the, the hardest thing about playing Bane is following up Heath Ledger's performance that as the too. Joker. Yeah, sure. That's his hardest obstacle. I don't feel good about my list. I think they're all great. and they all. <laughs> so you're going Joker, Magneto, Thanos, and Bane. That's your list. Yeah. I don't feel great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'll, I'll play What's some devil's list? advocate. Please. So uh, I feel better. I'm going to go Thanos first. Um, wow. No, I'm just fucking with you. I would never oh, do fuck that. You. <laughs> I would never do that. What the fuck? Okay, um, go ahead. Joker is definitely, Heath Ledger's Joker is the best performance <laughs> of a comic book villain. <laughs> wow. You got me. Um, All right. And then I would do Samuel Jackson as Mr. Glass from Unbreakable, I think. Okay. So you did not. <laughs> now you're really. Okay. Now I'm pulling Keep going. leg. I'm just. Okay. No, okay. Okay. For realsies, Joker, Magneto. I think I would lean McKellen over Fassbender. Um, that's okay. It. This is my McKellen is great, but the movies are not great. And then I would go Bane and then Thanos last. I think as a character, Thanos is very intimidating. Obviously, kills half the population. Yeah. Great villain. That's, that's my reasoning for that. Yeah. Performance-wise, though, I mean, Josh Brolin's great, but the performance isn't like oscar worthy in any way i don't think bane's performance is oscar worthy either i just think that tom hardy does a better job in his performance as bane than brolin does as his performance for thanos and that's when it comes yeah. down to it so okay i am a joker magneto bane thanos shout out to mr glass and uh yeah shout out mr. glass yeah Fuck dude yeah. what a great movie unbreakable is fucking love that movie i thought you were gonna say what a great movie uh glass is but... oh not glass. Such Almost a, got you there. Let down. Anyways, we could talk about Dark Knight for hours, but I think it's time for a quiz. I gotta say, between all the countless remakes, reimagining, and sequels, Hollywood has had no choice but to use different actors for the same role. And the Dark Knight is none different. As we've known, Michael Keaton, George Clooney, all these guys have played Batman in different iterations. So, for today's quiz, Joe... I will tell you two actors that that played a famous role, and you have to tell me the famous role. Or actually, okay, I'll give you okay. the option. Would you like the two actors, or would you like the role, and then you have to name two actors? I feel like that's a little bit more difficult. Yeah, give me the two actors. I'll take that one. I'll take that we'll one. do the two actors? All yeah. right. Wow, you thought of nine of these? Okay, I can't. All right, I'm ready. There's quite a bit. You'd be surprised. Okay, let's do this. Start off round one. Leonard Nimoy and Zachary Kinto. Mm. Both played what famous mm. character? I'm going to go with um, American Horror Story Asylum <laughs> character. <laughs> is that the only Zachary Kinto role you know other than what uh, the actual answer is? The guy from Heroes. The guy from Heroes, yes. That, that would be my, my pick. Uh, no, uh, that would be Spock. All right. Good start. Gene Wilder and Johnny Depp both played mm. which role? This is good. I like this. I like this. Uh, they both played uh, Willy Wonka from the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Willy Wonka movie. Yes, correct again. Moving on, Mel Gibson and Tom Hardy both played which character? Mel Gibson and Tom Hardy. Oh no! This is a round one hint? question. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Mel Gibson and Tom Hardy. Oh, you're going to hate yourself. Hold on. It's not like Captain John Smith, is it? No, it's not, not nothing dumb like that. <laughs> Who's that? John Smith? What? <laughs> From Pocahontas. I don't know. I don't know who Hardy Tom Hardy played in The Revenant. So I was like, did he play John Smith? 
No. <laughs> That's like an extension of Pokemon. It's a Revenant. <laughs> the Revenant. I That's don't know. fair, I guess, in a weird world. It's a possibility. Um, geez, Mel Gibson movies. Oh, I think you no. should lean the other way and just think of Tom Hardy movies. Tom Hardy movies. Okay, okay. He played in Inception, Dunkirk. Uh. I was like, is, he, is Mel Gibson Venom at some point in his life? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? In, in the post credit oh, no. scene of Spider-Man 2, before it was Topher Grace, they went Mel. They went Mel. Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Wow. You were stumped. In- Joe, I'm sorry to tell you, but the famous character they both played was Mad Max. Oh, fuck me. Of course they did. Uh, I don't know why they didn't even come to my mind. All right. Well, <laughs> I'm embarrassed now. This is the end of the podcast. And we'll end All right. That's right it. Uh, that was my round three. <laughs> Sorry to tell you, Joe. I still have round two and three actually going. Oh, God. Let's start. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll start on a good note here with, round, with the first question of round two. John Wayne and Jeff Bridges both played which famous character? Mm. Rooster Cogburn from True Grit. I got that that's, one right. Yeah, that's correct. I remember for some reason you had this D- the old DVD with John Wayne in your car for like a year. Yeah, just never took it out. I don't know. I, don't know. I think I was in like a phase of buying old movies and stuff, and so that's why I had it. Nice, nice. Moving on. Second question of round two: Anthony Perkins and Vince Vaughn both played who, or whom? Who? Who? Anthony Perkins and Vince Vaughn. Is this a round three question? Mm. No, no, I think I know it. It has to be Psycho, right? Yes. Or it has they to be uh, Norman. Yep. Both played Norman Bates. Yep. And Vince Vaughn played him in the Shot by Shot remake by Gus Van Sant. Yes. Very interesting okay. choice. Okay. To finish off round two, Kevin Costner and Russell Crowe both played which famous character? That would be Robin Hood. Yes. Three for three in round two. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, I like Woo. it. I like that was a close it. One. That was a close one. I was like, <laughs> I think that I think that one would have confused me just because the the Russell Crowe Robin Hood is not very memorable. No, no. Not yeah, I don't remember Kevin Costner playing uh, Maximus Decimus Deridius or whatever. So, can you imagine Gladiator <laughs> remake? Because <laughs> Kevin Costner. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Round three. Claire Foy and Rooney Mara mm. both played which famous character that would be lisbeth salander salamander Sal- yes, salander sa- from the yep no salander's fine girl we're the dragon salamander tattoo. that's it all right all right we're on the little streak here can get a little bit more difficult i think oh no harrison ford and chris pine both played what famous action star or famous character eh whatever action hmm. harrison ford and chris pine Chris Pine and Harrison Ford. It's on like the tip of my tongue. I feel like, oh, I, oh, I, what's the Tom Cruise one? What's the other one? Um, oh, ja- that's right. I didn't even think of J- Jake or Jack Ryan. Jake Ryan. <laughs> it's Jack Ryan. Jack yes. Ryan. Is it Jack Ryan? Yes, it's Jack yes. Ryan. Okay. The Tom Cruise one is Jake Reacher or something. I think that's weird. Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher. Uh, that's that's so lazy. Come on, Hollywood. They came out like at the same time. I feel like too, and that's why I get them confused all the, the time. The first Jack Reacher and the Chris Pine one. Yeah, that. Come on, Hollywood, do better. I'm surprised you do say better. John Krasinski and Chris Pine. Isn't John Krasinski Jack Ryan too? I, I feel like that would have been too easy. Yeah, he he is uh, Jack Ryan's one in the Amazon Prime show. Jeez. Yeah, a lot of guys. I could have gone Alec Baldwin as well. Multiple actors on this one. Wow. Okay. All right, I got a fun one to end it. Burt Reynolds and Adam Sandler both played what famous movie character? Oh, I know the movie. What's his name? I, um, I think that's where I'm gonna get you. It's like it's like a, a super cliche. Yeah, I could agree with that. It is super cliche from The Longest Yard. I don't know his name though. That's it. It is from The Longest Yard. Uh, both Burt Reynolds and Adam Sandler played quarterback Paul Crew. Paul Crew. Okay, I was gonna say it's something dumb like that. <laughs> Paul Crew. Paul. Paul. What kind of quarterback crew. name is Paul? <laughs> All right. Oh, that, that was, was a good one. That was I'm really good. I'm counting that one. I'm counting that one. So, 
The uh, was it ah. just the Mad Max one that you missed? How did I do much? that? Jeez, I like Mad Max a lot. Round one or nice. Just, Mad Max Fury <laughs> Road is more about Charlie Theron's character. That's it why. is right. I think that's 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 it. That's probably why. Well done. That was All fun. All right, that was a good one. Good job. Good job. Well, sadly, we've reached the end of this episode. We talked about the Dark Knight a lot. I think we like that movie. I think your final thoughts, closing thoughts on the Dark Knight as we end this tonight's episode. Uh, a movie that I will love forever. Watched it countless times, and this last rewatch obviously did not disappoint. Did not change my mindset on the movie. I'm glad. I appreciate that you found some critics' quotes there that found some flaws in this one. Because um, although we don't agree, I mean, we see where they're where they're coming from. I guess uh, just a great rewatch all around. Paul Bettany, Steve Carell, all these guys who were in the running for the Joker. I. I can't see it. I don't want to see it. You know, we're, we're going to pay homage one more time. To, anytime we do a movie with Heath Ledger, we're just going to be praising him, whether it's this one or 10 Things I Hate About You. Or A Knight's um, Tale. Yeah. Or A Knight's Tale. That might be hey, coming soon. With Paul Bettany. With Paul Bettany. That's what I was thinking when you were mentioning the whole time. <laughs> just fantastic stuff nonetheless. I am also taking away my surprise in that you think that with great power comes great responsibility is the more iconic between that and why so serious. Put that on my coffin. I'll put that as I die, not why so serious. <laughs> <laughs> put that put that in your body, because clearly you asked me if I wanted which one tattooed on myself. Um, oh, I'm, I'm going the why so serious route. I still think not that's wrong. Not just because it's less words, but <laughs> what are you taking away? You know what? This movie fucking rules. That's what I'm taking away. You know, we could sit here and talk about this movie for hours. There's a reason why people will continue to idolize this film for the next 25 years. There's a reason why the Academy has now extended their best picture nominations from, you know, five to eight to 10. Uh, This movie changed the game. And I think that it may sound cliche to keep saying groundbreaking and masterpiece and iconic, but there are films that deserve it. And this is one of them. And so I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. Is it perfect? Who knows? Some say yes, some say no. Is it cumbersome, as some critics might say? Sure. You know, maybe you don't know why Batman went to Hong Kong, but is that really the point? <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up again. <laughs> so I, I'm just taking away this movie is, is great and fantastic. And I'm just glad that we had the chance to talk about it. So thank you, everybody, for continuing to listen. Yep. And um, I appreciate all the interaction with us on social media. Continue to follow us and um, comment on our stuff and communicate with us we love discourse and discussion stay tuned next week we'll be back i don't know what movie we're doing next week maybe we'll do the dark knight rises i don't know we'll, we'll figure oh, it wow. out wow we'll maybe we'll go back to doing the eight mile Ooh. but we'll be back next week so thank you and i'll see you guys later 